so great to want to celebrate somebody by celebrating songs of faith that were near and dear to to them. And there aren't many songs of the faith that are more near and dear to those of the faith than how great thou art. As you think about God's greatness, one of the things that we can celebrate about his greatness is that faith in his provision of his son and his son's death in our behalf, it can provide comfort in a time like this. So as sad as it is, we're sorrowing and we're sad for ourselves. We're going through that grieving process of having to be separated from somebody that has meant an incredible amount to us. We're not sorrowing, though, for them. The fact of the matter is that Patty would not wish that she was with us right now. She's not wishing that she could leave heaven to come back with us, as sad as that is to think about sometimes. The reality is that she's with her Savior because of her faith in Christ's work alone. Now she's in a place that's absolutely perfect, and she's saying, in effect, if, if you could see me now, you wouldn't be wishing that I was with you. And so we sorrow, but we don't have to sorrow as those who have no hope. We can have, in a sense, a mixture of the two, grieving for that loss of that immediate physical relationship that we're going to have to sort of put on hold a little bit for the rest of, of our time. But as Nicole so eloquently said in her memorial message, I'll see you tomorrow. Because even from the purposes of eternity, a day with the Lord is, is a thousand years. So for all of us, the amount of time that we have is fleeting. And so as I think about, you know, you come to a Christian church to have a, a Christian celebration of life or a memorial service for somebody, what do we have to celebrate? When you think about life itself, it's short and it's, it's hard and there's difficult things in it. It's not all roses and rainbows. It's fleeting. It's here for a moment and then it's passes quickly away. James, in his letter in the New Testament, he says, for what is your life? And he says that as a question mark. What is your life? And then he says, it's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. So if we were here to celebrate that, there's not a lot necessarily to celebrate. But when you're thinking about the fact that our time here on earth for the one who has put their faith in Christ is just a flash in the bucket compared to an eternity that's going to be spent with the Savior in heaven in the place where he's at, the place that he's, provi he's provided for his children, now that's something we can celebrate because that's life without end. That's enjoying the time that we've had here, trying to make the most of the time that we've had here, trying to use it in a way that would have some eternal or redeeming value, but knowing that this life is short, but eternity is long, and eternity looks really great. There's a lot to look forward to. That it's a very wonderful time that can be spent with the one who loved us and gave himself for us and with all of those that we love that have also put their faith in his finished work on our behalf. So no matter how long you are to live, your life is short in light of eternity. And it's sad. There's going to be sorrow. A part of grieving is to sorrow the physical closeness or the relational closeness that is now, is now gone temporarily. But the celebration is that it is temporary. You know, it wouldn't be a celebration if you thought it was permanent. You'd do nothing but sorrow and continue to sorrow. But the way that a Christian looks at it as revealed from the Word of God is that this is a temporary separation that is going to be accompanied by a great reunion 
when you too one day go to be with the Lord or all of us together go to be with the Lord either through the rapture where the Lord comes and takes all of his own to be with him. And so there's an opportunity to celebrate and find joy and find comfort even in the face of sorrow and tragedy. That loss of relational closeness is not something that's easy to get over. That's something that where Patty's going to be greatly missed. And you wouldn't be here today if there wasn't some impact that Patty had had on your life. The reason you're here is because she impacted you in some way, shape, or form. I'm guessing you're here because she made your life better. I'm guessing you're not here to, to gloat over the fact that she's gone because she made your life worse. You're here to celebrate how she impacted your life in a positive way. So it's going to be hard to know that in the short term, you're not going to be able to call her or text her or go visit her. But the comfort comes from knowing that in the long term, you have the opportunity to go spend all of eternity with her if you put your faith in the same Savior that she put her faith in. So the thing that I've been asked to share is just the hope, the comfort that we can have knowing that as Christians, this life is temporary, but we have an eternity to look forward to with our Savior in heaven. Now, this message wouldn't even make any sense if you didn't understand the situation or the, the problem that faced mankind. You see, Patty understood that apart from Jesus or without Jesus, she was hopeless and helpless and hellbound. That's the condition or the predicament that every person is born into. See, the Bible says this in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as through one man, and that's referring to Adam, sin entered the world. And what came with sin? Well, what came with sin was death. And it speaks to spiritual and physical death. It came as a result of the curse of sin on the world. Because God, when he finished the creative process, when he finished creation, he stood back, looked at it, and he said, everything that I've made is perfect. It's very good. There's no flaws in it. It's not defiled in any way. But as sin entered into the world, it defiled and it brought about spiritual and physical death. And this is the conundrum, or this is the bad news this is the predicament that man finds himself in because it says that death spread to all men and it's interesting even as you look at that word all it's all inclusive there's no exceptions to it so every person has the same problem is the short version of that it spread to all men because all sinned so we inherited this separation by virtue of being born into a race of sinners under the headship of adam we were Senators by birth in that sense, but we are also sinners by choice because it says all sinned, all chose sin in addition to having been born into a race of sinners. Well, that's bad news. The reason that's such bad news is because if God is perfectly holy and if God is righteous and he's 100% pure, then he can't be tainted by sin. But if, if we're all described as being sinners, and that's what Romans says in chapter 3, that all have sinned, and fallen short of the glory of God, meaning there's no exceptions to that. So if everybody's identified with sin, that's some really crummy news to come celebrate at a memorial service because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And death in the Bible always refers to being separated from God. So if God is perfectly holy and righteous and he can't be tainted by sin, how can we be near him? How can we spend eternity with him? If all men are born into the same problem, and then they live out that by making their own sinful choices. Even one sin is too many sins. It says all of our works of righteousness, the prophet Isaiah says, are filthy rags. It says there's not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. The apostle Paul says that even my 
best efforts at doing right fall short. He says, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. So if God is perfect and he's holy and if man is tainted by sin, if man wanted to be where God is and God wanted to be with man, something had to be done about the sin. It's quite a predicament to find yourself in. And that's what Patty understood, that she had been born into a predicament and that something had to be done about it or she would spend all of eternity separate from where God is. That's what it means to say that the wages of sin is death. It's to face an eternity spent where he is not. And where is God not? Well, God is not in the place of torment, the lake of fire. But where is God? He's in heaven, the paradise that he provided and created for those that he loved so dearly. When he left the earth, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I'll redeem you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. He says, in my father's house, there are many dwelling places or mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. So the hope of the Christian is that they'll go to dwell with God in heaven in the place that he made for those that will respond in faith to him. And we'll get to that in a second because the good news of the gospel is that God provided a solution. See, the Bible isn't a book of tragedy, though there's tragedy in it. The Bible isn't a book of condemnation, though man is condemned because of his sinfulness. The Bible is a book of hope. It's the greatest love story ever told about how God wanted to rescue those that were drowning, those that were helpless without him, those that would face an eternity apart from him unless he did something motivated by nothing but great love for us to fix that problem. And so the Bible talks about the good news. So the first half of Romans 6.23 said that the wages of sin was death, but thankfully the verse doesn't end there. There's this great but there to tell us there's more. There's good news. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And friends, the thing about a gift is that a gift has to be freely given and it has to be freely received. You can't earn a gift. If you could earn a gift, it wouldn't be a gift anymore. It would be payment rendered for services rendered. But a gift is freely given to those who don't deserve it because it's not motivated by whether you deserve it or not. It's motivated by your consideration and love for somebody else. That's what causes you to want to give them something regardless of whether they deserve it or not. And so when we think about the solution that was provided by God through the work of his son, this is interesting that I had this in my comments because Nicole brought this out too. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, it says, this is love. This is the only way we would really know what love is if, if God showed us what real love was. See, human love is very conditional. Human love is, I'll do for you what you'll do for me. Or I'll repay you in kind for however you treat me. But God said, this is real love. Not that we loved God. God didn't come and send his son to die for us because we were so desperately seeking after him. He didn't send his son to die for us because we were so attractive to God. Because we were so lovely. The Bible says that while we were unlovely, while we were dead in trespasses and sin, that God in his love, he still looked at us and he said, I don't want... My children to spend eternity separate from me. I'm going to do something to fix this wall of separation through their sinfulness that has been estranging me me from them. I'm going to break that wall of sin down through the sacrifice of my son. So this is how he loved us. He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's a fancy word that just means satisfactory payment or complete payment. You see, Jesus didn't pay just some of the debt that you owed. 
He paid all of the debt that you owed. And that's how he can offer you eternal life as a gift. Because there's no work that needs to be done. There's nothing that you need to do to bring it across the finish line. God in his love, he said, I'm going to provide not a partial solution to your sinfulness. I'm going to provide a complete solution to your sinfulness. And I'm going to offer it to you as a free gift. But the question is going to be, will you receive that or not? Now this is something that people struggle with when you think about the gift of God, the sacrifice of his son. God had to make him, Jesus, who did not know sin, to become sin for us so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. God had to make himself, his son, to be sin. He had to have his son take our sin and and place it on his son so that his son would die in our place and he would bear the weight of our sin as he died on a cross. He wasn't on a cross, for those of you who identify with Christianity, Jesus wasn't on a cross dying for his sin. He was on a cross dying for your sin. He effectively, as he was nailed to a tree, he was saying, I love each and every one of you this much. I love you this much that I'll become your sin for you. I'll become the payment, the death for you that you deserve to have to pay. I will pay your debt. I will die as your substitute. I will take your place. Not because of any works of righteousness which you have done, but because of my mercy towards you that was offered based on my gracious love for you. And so God became, God made the one who did not know sin, Jesus, to become sin for you so that you could become something you are not. You could become the righteousness of God. So what happened? When you put your faith in Jesus, he died, he took your sins effectively off yourself. He took that robe of sin that you were cloaked in and he put that sin on himself and he said, I'll bear the weight of this, I'll pay the debt that's owed. And he said, if you'll accept that substitutionary payment on your behalf, I'll take my robe of righteousness and I'll wrap it around you. Not because of how righteous you are, but because of your faith in my work on your behalf. I will now make you righteous even though you weren't righteous because I'm going to wrap you in my righteousness, not because of who you are, not because of what you've done, but because of your accepting as a free gift what I've done for you. And that's how I love that. It was stated here that she knew without a doubt that when she died, she would be with Jesus. And I love this line. It wasn't that she had enough faith to get her to heaven. You see, it's not the amount of faith that we have that fixes our problem. It's the object of our faith. Who are we putting our confidence in? And we put our confidence in the substitution that was perfect, in the one who was perfect, in the one who did it all for us. Now we can have that confidence to say, I know that when I die, I'm going to heaven. That's not arrogance. That's humility saying there was nothing I could offer God. There was nothing for me to carry across the finish line. God had done for me everything that needed to be done. And as I rest in his provision for me, I can have a confidence that otherwise would be impossible. So Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's not another way. The solution that God provided is exclusive. You don't get to say, Jesus did 90% of what was necessary, but I'll take, the, I'll take and do the last 10%. I'll carry the ball across the goal line. God says it's either 100% faith in me or it's not faith. It's either accepted as a free gift or it's not a gift. You can't improve upon something that Jesus already done that was perfect. And you know, friends, that's the thing that's offensive to people. The gospel of how Jesus loved you and how he died on a cross for you offends absolutely nobody. 
You know what's offensive to people is when you tell them that when he died, he did 100% of what was necessary and you either accept that by faith or you reject it by seeking to add your human effort to God's perfect design. That offends people because they say, I want to show that I've done my part. I want to be able to look around and see how many other people around me I measure up to in a better way than they do that I'm better than them because I've done more for them. I deserve heaven a little bit more than they do. But the truth of the gospel is that nobody deserves heaven and nobody can improve upon what God already did to make his solution perfect through the substitution of his son. So, so many people, they think that Christianity is about what you need to do for God. But the good news of the gospel is that Christianity is really about what Christ has already done for you. So Patty understood that. She understood that she'd have access to eternal life if she would just put her faith in what Christ had done for her. The Philippian jailer is a character in the Bible that the Apostle Paul came into contact with. And the Apostle Paul had such a great impact on him through his testimony that the Philippian jailer, at a point in time, he said directly to the Apostle Paul, what must I do to be saved? Because some people make Christianity really complicated. It's not complicated. You had a problem. Christ provided a solution to your problem. You either believe in that or you don't. So he said, what must I do to be saved? That was his natural mindset. I must have to do something to earn this. That's what people who are tied into religion get sucked into. Instead of seeing what has Christ done for me, they ask, what must I do for God? Instead of recognizing that he's already done it all for you. But the answer was really clear. This is why it's called childlike faith. This is why you don't have to work at it for a lifetime. This is why at a moment in time, you can accept this and be born into God's family and he'll say, I'll never let you go. Because the answer is this simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put all your eggs in that basket. Put your confidence in what I've done for you. And what will the result of that be? You will be saved. Not you might be saved. You will be saved. So can you face eternity with boldness and hope Can you have the comfort that Patty had as she faced her final days? Well, yeah, because your confidence isn't in yourself or your human efforts or your church or your rituals. Your confidence is in what the Savior fully completed for you on Calvary. And so many of you know this verse. It's on the wall of our church. Many of you learned this as kids. For God so loved the world, that's what motivated him, that he provided a solution. He gave his only begotten son. It was a sacrifice on your behalf that whoever believes in him. That's the only thing the Bible ever calls for as your response to the gospel message. That person will not perish, but will have instead everlasting life. The next verse says that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, through the work of Jesus, would be saved. That's, God didn't come to judge us or condemn us. He came to save us. Saviors are in the business of saving. And the next verse says, he who believes is not condemned. How how am I not condemned? He who believes is not condemned. Not he who tries really hard or does a lot for Jesus. But he who believes is not condemned. But he who believes not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. The only thing condemning people is that they will not put their confidence exclusively in what Christ has done for them And that's why Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says that for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves because people naturally think that. It's a gift from God. 
It's not of works, lest anyone would boast. For something to be a gift, again, it has to be freely given and freely received. So Patty understood that anyone can get in on this. It says, all who will, let them come. The question is, will you get in on it? Will you put your confidence in that? God's not willing that any should perish, but he doesn't make people trust in him. He says, you have a choice to make. You either trust in me or you choose not to. But here's to the comfort part. Some of you say, I wish you'd got to this sooner. But this is the comfort that faith in Jesus provides. We can celebrate today, not because Patty was perfect or she worked really hard for Jesus or she jumped through all these kind of religious hoops. That's not what we can celebrate. We can celebrate that she put her trust in God's only solution to her sinfulness. And because she did that, we can celebrate without any doubt in our minds that right now she's in the embrace of her father in heaven, that she's in her Savior's loving arms, that she's walking streets paved with gold, that she's been introduced to that apartment or dwelling place or mansion that God had prepared for her. We can celebrate that with confidence. We don't have to hang our heads, at least about that part. We can hang our heads about missing her, but we don't have to hang our heads about wondering, man, I wonder if she made it or not. You see, there's no, there's no celebration at most funeral services that you go to where the focus has been on what can you do for Jesus. Because you know what? If you're honest with yourself, you'd have to sit there and you'd have to say, I wonder if they did enough. And if you were to start telling stories at the reception afterwards here, you'd have to say, boy, she had some zingers in her life. That probably, man, I hope those, I hope those zingers in her life didn't disqualify her. That's what you'd have to say. You'd have no confidence. But regardless of how many zingers she had in her life and how many zingers you have in your life, that's not the point. The focus is that God took all of that and he already died in the place of that. And he says, you can have confidence because of your faith in what I've done. This is Jesus speaking to one of his friends. I know I'm going a little long, sorry. But he says this to his friend. Her brother just died. And she had sent for Jesus before he died And she had said, come and heal him because Jesus can heal. And he did heal. And they were very good friends of his. They weren't just like random acquaintances. Very good friends of Jesus. And so while her brother was sick, she sent to the neighboring town that Jesus was in and she said, send for Jesus so he can heal Lazarus, our brother. You know what? Jesus didn't come. He just kept up about his father's business where he was. And he kept ministering to the people he was ministering to and what happened is that Lazarus did die. And after Lazarus died, they came and told him, he's dead. And Jesus said, well, now I can start heading back. So he headed over there, and from a human perspective, you would have said, too little, too late. Where were you when we needed you? And that's effectively what she came out and said to him. She said, Master, if you would have been here sooner, your friend and my brother, he wouldn't be dead. You would have healed him. But this is what Jesus says to her, profound but very telling. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Remember, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Here's him saying the same thing. I'm the way you have life. Now, how do you get in on this? He who believes in me. That's the key. Hundreds of times in the New Testament, how do I get in on this? I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. Never does it say you need to do your part for Jesus. You need to believe in what he's done for you. But he says, whoever believes in me, always the key, Though he may die, and will everyone die? Yes. He shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me 
shall never die. Now, could he be talking about physical death there? <laughs> no. Lazarus just died. He, he already had experienced physical death. So what is he talking about? Spiritual death. You'll never die because you'll have an eternity to spend with me in heaven. But what does he say again is the key to all this? Do you believe this? And that's the question that you need to decide. That's the only relevant question when it comes to Christianity in, in terms of how can I know where I'll spend eternity? This is the only relevant question. Not which church do you go to. Not which hoops have you jumped through. Not how hard have you been trying to do your best for Jesus. But do you believe this, that I am who I said I was and that when I said it was finished, which were the last words that Jesus uttered on the cross, he said, it is finished. Do I believe that that's true or not? Because when you're going about saying that you still need to do your part for Jesus, that's you calling him a liar. As he said, what needed to be completed was fully satisfied by my sacrifice. And it's insulting to him. Because if you could have saved yourself by doing your part, he wouldn't have had to come to die at all. At all. So here's our comfort. One, that you'll never die. Right now, Patty is with her Savior in heaven. She's going to have a new body. She's going to spend eternity in a place that is sinless, has no sickness, has no sorrow, has no, no negativity of any kind. And she's going to spend all of the rest of eternity there. And so the psalmist, when he's finishing this Psalm 23, he ends with these words, Surely goodness... And mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Now ask yourself, if that's all that God promised you, is that his goodness and mercy would follow you all the days of your life, would that be pretty good news? That'd be pretty good news. But it doesn't end there. We're not, Patty's story didn't end here with her physical death. What does the psalmist say? And I will, not I might, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that's why Paul here in 2 Corinthians 5a can say, we are confident. Not, mm, maybe she made it, maybe she didn't. We're confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Meaning that the Christian is not scared of dying. Just like was said by Nicole about her mom's last days, she wasn't scared to die because she knew that to leave this shell, this clay vessel behind, meant to go join her Savior and be face-to-face with him, to be free from sickness, pain, and sin, to be settling into her new home. And just imagine her. Picture that even right now. You know what it looks like to settle into a new home. Imagine her doing that right now, rearranging the furniture, putting her favorite verses on the wall. So despite the sadness of this loss, we're comforted by these truths. Patty is face-to-face with her Savior and you can look forward to joining her one day too. The question is simply whether, like Patty, you will accept God's solution to your predicament. One of the songs that I have loved recently here, I'll end with these lyrics. The song is called The Only Scars in Heaven. And I find this to be very comforting because I know Patty's last time here on earth was challenging from a physical perspective. She went through some hard things. But the song says this, The only scars in heaven, they won't belong to me and you. There'll be no such thing as broken, and all the old will be made new. And the thought that makes me smile now, even as the tears fall down, 
is that the only scars in heaven are on the hands that hold you now. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for your word. Thank you for these promises that can provide comfort, even in a time of sorrow and loss like this. Pray that we would celebrate where Patty is right now, that we would sorrow not having her nearby for a bit, but knowing that that's going to be very brief and it's going to be very fleeting, and that one day if we have our faith placed in your only solution to our sinfulness, we will one day go and join her for all of eternity. Pray that we could just picture her getting the apartment ready for us, knowing that we'll be right behind her. Pray that that could comfort us even as we go through this period of transition and adjust to not having her available all of the time. In Jesus' name, amen.